Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. In a world that is dominated by narratives of fear, anxiety, and worry, what does it mean that joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on the inner state of one's heart? You've joined us in our series, Philippians, where we are exploring what Paul meant when he wrote to have joy in everything and the importance of living in unity among believers for the sake of the gospel. We pray that this message is a blessing. Gracious God, as we open Your Word today, would You speak? I pray whether we're teenagers in the room, online, or whether we're, we're well matured in our age or faith, would we hear what You wanna say to us? Lord, more than my voice, we need You. We need you. Less of me, more of you, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I grew up in the church. I was what's known as a PK or a pastor's kid. Any other pastor's kids in the room? A couple of us, that's awesome. Uh, when you're a pastor's kid, you have to sit in the front row. And in my uh, church that I grew up in, we didn't have a kid's life every single week or a youth every single week. Praise God, we do in this church. So I would have to sit there and we would play Lego or read books as the service went on. But we'd also have to sit through worship. Now we have a great creative worship team here at New Life. And I'm not saying the church I went to was terrible, but it was a Pentecostal church. Which meant, for those of you who grew up in, I'm not talking like modern day Pentecostal where like every song's four minutes and done. I'm talking like old school Pentecostalism where it was like three hour worship sessions. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, a couple more of you. Now when you're a kid, that's not fun. It's not especially fun when the guy on stage is wearing tighter clothes than he probably should and jeans that don't look like, he, you know, he can breathe in them, comes down the front and after singing the same chorus for 50 times, says to the whole church, who wants to sing that song again? Again. And then the whole church lies and says, yeah. And I'm looking around being like, no, you don't. What the heck is this about? So one Sunday, this pastor's kid at seven years old thought if we're gonna ask questions in the middle of church, I'm gonna give honest answers because this is where we should be able to be honest in church. So I put on my best Sunday clothes, combed my hair, ate five week bigs, getting ready for my big moment. And in that moment, as, as this you know young strapping worship leader comes down the front, starts rocking backwards and forwards as if it's you know some rock show or whatever. And I'm thinking, ask the question, mate, ask the question. And he did. He said, who wants to sing this? song again and from the depth of my lungs I mustered everything I could and shouted at the top of my voice no it's great as everyone's attention turned to the apparently demon-possessed kid that was the pastor's son down the rough front row. My, I remember the next thing, my dad grabbing my collar. Now, for those of you who were pastor kids, you know what I'm talking about. I get hauled down the middle of the aisle. And as I'm going, I'm like checking all the kids. I'm like, Robbie, that was for you. Uprise, Susie, we can take them down together, right? And I get taken outside for whatever form of, you know, correctional behaviour my parents wanted to put me through on that Sunday. But the truth was, friends, I grew up in church and I went every Sunday because we got free bread and if we were lucky, stale cookies after the service. But the general service itself wasn't always that interesting. And I think we've got to recognise, I don't, I don't know if every teenager in the room would think that it's changed that much. Now we have a great service here at New Life, but there are teenagers in the room that are probably going, why are we doing this every single week? Maybe there are some adults in the room that you're like, I'm wondering why we're doing this every single week. Because sometimes... The church that we attend or the service that we sit through, sometimes it doesn't actually seem like the most exciting thing we could do on a Sunday. And then we read these words of Paul, where he seems to be gushing, doesn't he? 
Hey, every time I think about you, I'm thankful. Joy fills my heart. It's like, man, what was going on in the Philippian church that isn't happening at, you know, not at New Life, at any other church, great church that we attend here. Like I start to think maybe you, like me, have had some bad experiences in church. I was like, where's, does Paul know there are Christians in that church? I mean, Christians, like they do that gossiping thing. He's thankful about that. Does Paul know that sometimes in churches, people get hurt? Man, sometimes the pastor preaches too long and I want to go to sleep, but I can't because he's making eye contact with me through the whole service. Does that happen in the Philippian church as well? And we start to think that maybe, just maybe, Paul's writing to a church that's like one in a million. Oh my gosh, how much do we all wish we could go back to go to this church where Paul was filled with joy every time he thought of it? The truth is, whenever Paul wrote any letter to any church, he started the same way to the Corinthian church, the Galatian church, the Ephesian church. Every time he says, I think of you, I am thankful and filled with joy. Now, if you actually go to any of those churches and you ask, well, were these good churches? Friends, if you want to know, uh, you should go read the book of Corinthians. There was some messed up stuff happening in the Corinthian church. I'm not going to go through today because we've got teenagers in the room and I don't want you to have 50 questions on the way home. But there are some weird things happening, but still Paul starts the same way. I'm thankful. Not because the church was amazing. Not because it had everything right and all these things together. Not because the services weren't boring at times. Because Paul had a deep belief about why church was important. Why gathering together as the saints were important. Why being scattered together as God's people was important. Because he believed that the church, not the building, not the service, the people of God, The people of God were an outpost of God's kingdom of light in the world filled with darkness. That when God's people gathered together, He did something in their midst. He transformed their lives to become more like Jesus. And something filled Paul with a hope. Man, every time I think of God making more Philippians like Jesus, I'm joyful, I'm thankful. I say that today because sometimes we can forget one of the greatest things that happens here when we gather and when we scatter during the week is not how amazing our kids' ministry is, although it's phenomenal, not how great our worship can be. One of the most beautiful things that happens is that God is faithful and He transforms His people into the likeness of His Son. See, friends, the reason why I kept going to church throughout my younger years wasn't because the services were great. It's because when I looked at my mum and dad, I saw their lives being transformed. I heard them talk about it with me. I heard them discuss what they were struggling with. So church wasn't a religious activity for my family. It was something I saw my parents apply to their lives. It changed everything. Seeing more people more like Jesus is not just a new life thing. It's a church thing. It's something that Paul was passionate about and we're passionate about. And as we read through the book of Philippians, I know two things. Number one, just like with Paul with the Philippians, there's gonna be things that God wants to celebrate here at New Life. There are some great things happening in our church, amen? Come on. But secondly, there are some things that just like Paul and the Holy Spirit was doing through the book of Philippians, he wants to challenge here at New Life. There's gonna be some things where he wants to correct us. Why? Because God cares about his church that this would forever be a place where more people might become more like Jesus. So come with me as we open up the book of Philippians chapter one. And in chapter one, Paul starts off where we read this. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Like any great letter, he addresses who it's from, except instead of last, he does this first. He writes to the Philippian church, he says, this is from Paul and my disciple Timothy. He has a great thing that he says there. He says, we are servants of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul could have introduced him in any means there, couldn't he? He could have said, this is Paul and Timothy. You remember? We church planted you. This is Paul and Timothy. Do you remember? We've been travelling around the world, building many churches. This is Paul and Timothy. I'm Paul. I wrote three quarters of the New Testament. But Paul doesn't. The only resume he brings before the people is just a beautiful parenthetical idea. He says this, I'm just a servant of Christ Jesus. That's the heart of the person we're reading this morning. And he writes this letter to the Philippians and how does he address the people he's writing them? He says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people. Everyone say holy people. Your translation might say to all the saints, saints and holy people, both come from the same Greek word, hagios, hagios. And this word, we've got to ask, well, what was so special about the Philippian church that Paul would call them a holy people, that Paul would call them saints? What's so special? And I wonder, here's another question, if Paul was to write to New Life today and he was to write to all the holy people at New Life, hands up if you think that that's you. It's a test. Some of you are like, I don't know. Some of you are holding your partner's hand. It's not you today, honey. <laughs> Trust me. Right, l- l- let me tell you who was in Paul's church. We have to go back a little bit. This was, uh, the letter of Philippians was written 10 years after the Philippian church was planted. In fact, we know this because in Acts chapter 16, another book in the Bible, we find out the story of the Philippian church. Paul and his friend Silas rock up to Philippi after being led by the Holy Spirit. Philippi is a Roman outpost. It's a Roman colony filled with Roman politicians and soldiers who none of them worship Jesus and there probably wouldn't be a high amount of Jews there either. And as Paul and Silas get there, they choose to start preaching the Gospel of Jesus on the banks of the river. And as they're on the banks of the river, they're preaching and this businesswoman, the first person to listen to them, named Lydia, who sold luxurious goods, her heart comes alive with the hope of the Gospel. She turns around, she converts to Christianity, she gets baptised along with her household and then that is the first Christian other than Paul and Silas that happens in Philippi. Then Paul and Silas continue. They're walking to temple one day and as they're going to pray, there's this girl that starts following around behind them. The Bible says this girl is actually possessed by a spirit, is possessed by a demon that actually allows her to prophesy and see the future. And she's following Paul and and, and Paul and Silas and she's starting to tell everyone who they are. This is Paul and Silas. They're here to tell everyone about the Son of God. And at first, Paul and Silas are like, well, she she doesn't have it wrong. But like uh, day after day, minute after minute, it's all she does. She just keeps following them around. To the the point where the Bible actually says this, it's great. Paul got annoyed with her, turned around and goes, get out out of her to the demon, the demon leaves and now the girl is set free. But what Paul didn't know is that there were men and women who were using her prophetic gift to actually earn money. So Paul has now ceased the income for a bunch of people who get really angry at Paul. They then beat him up, throw him in prison with Silas. Suddenly Paul, who so far has only had really one convert to Christianity, is sitting in prison wondering, will this girl we just set free from demonic power, will she become a Christian? And that's just sitting in prison, Paul and Silas, after being beaten and persecuted. They're sitting there licking their wounds and Paul turns to Silas and goes, I've got a good idea. We should sing a hymn. So I was like, great idea, Paul. Let's sing together. And Paul goes, you, you come in when you're ready. He goes, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. 
Where? Down in my heart. Where? Right? And they're singing. That wasn't the song that came around in the 1980s. But there's this moment, right, where they start singing this hymn and, the, and this, the prison shakes and God shakes the prison so much that all of the chains fall off and doors open. And the jailer of the prison comes running in thinking that Paul and Silas will have escaped. And he goes to take his life because that's what would have been required of him. Paul goes, no, 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 don't do that. Have you heard of my friend, my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? The jailer then becomes converted to Christianity. Paul goes and baptises his whole family. So I want you to picture this. Paul's been in Philippi for a little while, for maybe a couple of days. Lydia, really expensive businesswoman, comes to know Jesus, sets free a girl. Some people aren't sure if she comes to know Jesus, but some believe she did. And then we have a jailer who beat and persecuted Paul, who also comes to know Jesus. Then it says that straight after that, Paul gets them all together in Lydia's house, encourages the brothers and goes, this looks exactly like the kind of church Jesus wants to be a part of. All right, you guys seem to be fine and leaves. That's how the church in Philippians starts. We've got a jailer who beats people up, a luxurious businesswoman, and perhaps maybe a girl who's just recently been set free from a demon. And you think our church is dysfunctional, friends. <laughs> and what does Paul do? Hey, follow Jesus. Now, we have no proof of this, but we do think that he continued to write to them and visit them as well. But when we come to the book of Philippians, we're reading a letter that Paul has written to them 10 years later. He's writing to Lydia. He's writing to the jailer. He might even be writing to this young girl and all the friends and family they've, rolled, they've brought along. What does he say to them? To all the holy people in Philippi, to all the saints. So here's the question. How does a jailer become holy? How does a businesswoman become holy? How does an ex-demon-possessed girl become holy? There's some non-Christians in the room today joining online and you're like, he said demon-possessed one too many times for my comfort. And uh, that's cool, stick around, come to Alpha. We'd love to explain the whole thing, right? And there's this moment where it's a really important question. What have they done to be holy? In fact, Jai, our violinist today, came up to me after the service and it's beautiful. He said, Michael, do you know the root word of saints is hagios? And hagios actually comes from a different Greek word, hagos, which means an awful thing. Hagios merely means something that's come from an awful thing. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be a saint? To be a saint means someone who's come from an awful thing. To be holy in the Bible means to be set apart. How are we set apart by God? Friends, the truth is that Paul is saying to, to the Philippian church, hey, you guys who gossip, hey, you guys who are falling apart, hey, everyone in this local church that may not have things together, I'm writing to you because I call you holy. And when we go, hey, hang on, Paul, there might be some unholy people and holy people. And Paul goes, no, this is what makes someone a saint. If you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, if He's forgiven you of your sins and you've chosen to follow Him, you are a saint and no longer a sinner. You are holy and set apart, not because of what you've done, but because of what's being done for you. And the reason why I say this today, friends, is because when I ask you, if Paul was to write to this church saying to all the saints at New Life, if you're a follower of Jesus, your hand should have been in the air. Not because you act like a saint, not because you got it all together, but because in Christianity, we become someone new before we've done anything good. We become someone new before we've done anything good. And there's an identity crisis in the church today that we think to be holy means to have pastor in front of your name or to be a small group leader. And the only thing it means is that your life has been set apart because you responded to the saving work of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna ask you today, do you know that you are holy, that you are a saint? Because some of us still go around by the name as like, well, we're all just sinners here. No, we're not, friends. No, we're not. We may be people who still sin. 
Is there anyone in the room that no longer sins? I'm really glad no one raised their hands just then. That could have been a really awkward conversation for us all, right? But our identity has changed. To say I'm still a sinner means I am still in who Christ saved me from. But I'm no longer a sinner, friends. I'm a follower of Jesus. I still muck up all the time. Hands up, who still stuffs up? Come on, there are some of you really lazy this morning. Hands up, who still stuffs up? I'm not asking you to respond to the Gospel for the first time, just to be honest. It's just so important. We've got to know this. Because some of us are using the title of I'm just a sinner as an excuse to perpetuate the brokenness in our life that Christ has called us from. I'm just still a sinner. It doesn't make it okay. You are now set apart. You are holy. And friends, if you're a non-Christian in this room today and you're like, oh man, I knew I was coming to a church where it was all about people who are good enough and holy, you've missed the point. See, what I'm saying is this, what makes someone holy is not what they do, it's who's done something for them. If you're in this room today, you're joining us online and you've got shame, you've got guilt, you've got pain in your heart and regret in your life and you're thinking to yourself, I could never be called holy because of what I did last night or what's been done to me. The beauty of the Gospel is this, is that Paul could lead a jailer who beat him up the day before to Jesus, a luxurious businesswoman and a demon-possessed girl all now called holy, not because what they did was good enough, but because Jesus Christ's blood covers them and washes them clean and declares them new and forgiven. That can be your story, friends. Do you know that you are called to be a sinner, to be, to be a saint? You're like, hang on, Michael, you just, what? To be a saint. To all the saints that knew life. Jesus has something to say today. And to those of you who are not yet a saint, it's merely a simple prayer saying, Jesus, forgive me my sins, I wanna follow you. What does Paul say to the holy people of Philippi? The holy people of Philippi are experiencing persecution. They're experiencing hardship. They're in a moment where it's now becoming increasingly legal to follow Jesus as the, the Roman colony of Philippi would have followed the emperor's cult or worship of the emperor and to follow anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ would have been controversial. So Paul encourages them in verse two and says this, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. And secondly, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Friends, if we had more time, we'd talk about how important it is that responding to Jesus means we no longer care about ourselves, but we care about the work of Christ and partnering with the Gospel around the world. But I wanna focus on verse six today. And I, 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 wanna, I wanna ask, have you ever been in the middle of something and before it's completed, someone's come and judged it? Let me explain what I mean. I was making my wife donuts the other week. I was, I'm trying to do this date night once a month where I choose a really exotic meal and I make it and I make dessert. I'm not a great cook, but she suffers it and takes it as a love, you know, I love her kind of thing. And I'm making these, um, I, no, I do love her. Um, and I'm making these donuts and Sarah walks into the room halfway through where it's just like dough and mess and flour in my hair. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm making you dessert. She goes, it, you know, it doesn't look, are you doing, is that okay? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've come in halfway through. Don't judge it now. I'm not finished yet. Now, some of you will know what that's like. You might have an artist in the room and you're painting a picture and someone comes in and goes, so what's that meant to be? 
And you're like, what? Hey, all right, cupcake. I'm not finished yet. You come and maybe you're a surgeon or a doctor and you're in the middle of a procedure. And I doubt this happens in the middle of a heart transplant. But someone comes in and goes, doesn't seem to be working yet, right? What would you say? I'm not finished yet. You've got a wheel off a car and you're changing the wheel and someone comes along and goes, oh, it needs a wheel on the car. You would say, I'm not finished yet. Why? Because the idea is don't judge a product when it's only halfway through its building process. This is what Paul's trying to say. He's trying to say, you've been saved. You've been made holy. You've been called a saint now. But he's saying, but God began to work in you and you're still under construction. And I believe God's gonna finish the work. The reason why I say this today, friends, is actually such an encouraging verse. I pray for people all the time. Hey, I believe in God's gonna finish what He began. God will finish what He began. In Christianity, this term is called sanctification. It's the process, not that we just become forgiven by Jesus, but when someone becomes a Christian, they look nothing like Jesus. And so they're forgiven. They've been given access to relationship with the Father, but now God wants to make them into someone He's always destined them to be. And that process takes time. It's a process of forming, of moulding. It's a process which says, hey friends, if you're in this room today, I've got good news. You're under construction. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're under construction. Some of you are like, I know, you told me that last night. We'll talk about this later. Why do I say this? Number one, because some of us, this needs to be an encouragement. Hey, teenagers, there are some of you in this room today who you're sitting here and you, it's, it's hard to follow Jesus. It's not easy and you're discouraged. You're like, I don't have it all together. Mum and dad seem to yell at me more than not yell at me. I keep mucking up and stuffing it around. I don't have it all together. Some of you here today who are a parent, you're a mum or a dad and you're tired and it feels like you get it wrong more than you get it right. There's someone here today that's a businessman or a businesswoman. You're doing your best to live with integrity, but there are some weeks when it's more difficult than it is easy. There are many of us here today who are walking discouraged in our faith and we've given up because we're sick of getting it wrong. And friends, I just wanna say, maybe some of you are judging the product halfway through the process. Well, you're still under construction. You're not meant to be there yet. Christ has perfected you in the process of being, making you holy and sanctified, as it says in the book of Hebrews. What does this mean? It means that, hey, God, guys, we've all got stuff in our lives that God's still working on. Some of you today need to be encouraged by the fact you're under construction. There are some of you here today who are Christians and followers of Jesus, and you need to be reminded that you're under construction because you're acting in a way where it's like, I don't know what else there's left to do. Look at me. I'm, I'm pretty much, if they did the chosen again, they'd probably ask me to play Jesus. If you don't know what God's wanting to work on in your life, can I ask you to do me a favour? Ask the person that loves you the most. They know. They've probably got a list. The second, the third, the third person I want to talk to today is all of us. The reason why this is a comfort from Paul is because it reminds us that in any one moment, we're all under construction and so we don't have to go get so despairing about the lack of Christ that we see in our brothers and sisters. We just know how to pray for them. Some of us friends, we get so discouraged by other Christians, we beat on each other more than the world does. And we forget this simple fact, that person that you're angry at for gossiping, they're under construction. That person that said that mean thing at small group, they're under construction, friends. Those Christians that aren't acting the way, friends, pray and believe they're still under construction. God's still doing a good work in them that He's not yet completed. Don't judge the product before it's finished. Pray for it. Pray that God would finish the work that He began. 
because there's nothing more important than Christians who actually believe that we are being sanctified and molded. Here's what I know, that there is a generation of young people that go home at times with parents, hard to hear, and they're wondering, Mum and Dad, do you know that Jesus wants to change your life too, not just mine? He wants to see you transformed. And they're looking at you to see if what we say is true is true by the way we allow Jesus to transform our hearts. That's what's gonna keep a generation in church, not programs, not ministry, but by looking at those who go before and seeing that this actually works. Friends, for the sake of time, I wanna move to the last verse that Paul talks about when he talks about his construction thing. When he prays for the people in Philippi, this is simply what he prays. These words, verse nine, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. When Paul got to pray for the church in Philippi, he didn't pray for more salvations. He didn't pray for more baptisms. He didn't pray for bigger facilities, for more people or more finances. They're all good things and we can pray for those things and we should pray for those things. But what did he say? Hey, what's my heart for you? I want you to grow in your love. Friends, what do you think a successful church looks like? Filled buildings on the Sunday mornings? Functioning kids program? What does a successful church look like? What does it mean for us to grow? When you read through the Bible, what you actually seem to find is that Paul challenges the Holy Spirit. God continues to challenge people not to grow in number, but to grow in the depth and the fruit of their faith. Timothy Keller would say it like this. No, nowhere in the Bible does God call the church to grow numerically. He calls the church to grow in spirituality and worship and joy. See, numbers were a byproduct and it's not wrong to count numbers. We do at New Life and it's fine, but they're just not the driver of these things. Be careful to be driven by what gets people in the door. So if we're all under construction, then here's my question. What's God calling us to grow in today? I don't think it's in numbers. I think He wants that to be a byproduct of a deeper fruit. Maybe God's calling us to grow in love, in patience, in kindness. Friends, what's God calling you to grow in today? When was the last time you asked? I remember when I was... uh, I was going to say a young man, but this was like two years ago. So it's still true. When I was a young man um, and Archer had just come along, I was in the fog of parenting. Some of you know what that means. And uh, I was holding Archer at 2 a.m. one morning. This was like, you know, the 50th 2 a.m. morning I'd had in a row. And I'm like saying, I'm like delirious. I'm not even sure how to spell the Bible anymore. I'm not sure what prayer looks like. I've had to pray for sleep. And I'm a pastor in a church, right? And I'm there and I'm, I'm rocking my son to sleep. And I'm just getting angry. I don't know if you've ever been there. And I'm angry. This is what I wanted my life to look like. I wanted to be, you know, this holy spiritual leader. And here I am rocking a sleepless baby to sleep angry. And I'm, I'm not enjoying who I'm becoming. I'm like, I just wish I had time to pursue Jesus more. But because of this kid, I don't, you know. 2 a.m. in the morning, parents understand that thought, okay? Those of you who are judging me right now, mm, all right? And I'm rocking. And in this moment, I'm just frustrated. And the anger, and I'm starting to spiral. I'm starting to like believe my son has evil intentions towards me and all this kind of thing. And then in the quiet of that moment, I just hear the Holy Spirit whisper. He says, ah, Michael. doesn't say, ah, Michael, but this is pretty much what he said. How quickly you are to lose patience. Yet how often you sin against me and I never lose my patience with you. 
all is happening right now is he just can't sleep. Grow in your patience, Michael. I'm seeing my, have an altar call session in my son's room, like weeping on the floor. Ah! And then my kid wakes up again, I'm angry again, you know. What's happening in that moment? Sometimes I think, friends, that we need margin in our life for God to grow something in us. But here's what I know, God's always at work. And some of you have stepped back from thinking God's growing something in you right now because life's too full. Nah, God's at work. You're under construction. What does God want to grow in you right now? What does God want to grow in this church? Because if we don't ask that question, here's what we do, we camp here. And I guarantee you we'll lose the next generation. They'll be gone. Because they can see what we can't. You know, many years ago, on the screen behind me, in the left-hand side of the screen, both online and in the room, you'll see the first Easter dawn service at New Life. They gathered on this land where there literally was nothing around. It was swamp land. They thought that these guys were stupid for buying this land. It's like, there's nothing here. And they gathered to pray. But I guarantee you, they didn't pray just for a building. They didn't just pray for a home. They didn't pray for more finances. I guarantee you, they prayed that God would do something in their midst. Because that group of people some of you are in the room today, prayed and submitted their lives to not camping in a moment, but pursuing Jesus in obedience. Then the building at the top, uh, left hand, the top right hand side of the screen got built, not because it was about a building, but because God was starting to do a work in a people. And those people started to say, hey, what does it look like not for us to increase in number, but for us to be faithful and obedient and grow in our love, grow in our humility, grow in our kindness and our mercy. And year after year, God continued to do something beautiful here until I was in the building in the bottom right-hand side when we stood in the foyer out there praying for those who were to come, but more than that, praying that we would be a church who would always be shaped by Jesus, that we would never camp in a moment, but we would be people who said, God, continue to grow us, stretch us. And so here we are today, standing on the shoulders of giants of people who never grew apathetic in their faith, who never said, I'm enough who never got despondent, who said, God, what are you wanting us to grow in right now? May we be faithful and obedient to it. Why do I say that, friends? Because today, right now, I wanna challenge us. May we not be a people who camp here. What is God calling to grow? In your life and in us. And may we, in many years' time, stand before the Father in heaven when His work is completed, say, Jesus, Look at your faithfulness to us. Billy Graham's wife, do you want to know what her tombstone reads? Construction completed. May that be what we can all say when we are promoted to glory. Let me pray. Gracious God, I thank you, Jesus, that we are all under construction. That right now, we are a people who you are calling to be sanctified and shaped by your glory for the good of the world. I want to just, um, I just want to ask uh, to do something bold. Uh, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, but if you're a teenager, could you just stand wherever you are? If you're a teenager, if you're the age of 12 to like 18, could you stand? Thanks, boys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, ladies. That's awesome. 
If you're a parent next to this teenager, could you stand next to them and just put your hand on their shoulder? And if you're not a parent, I don't want you to put your hand on their shoulder, but could you just reach out your hand towards these guys? You don't have to touch them, just reach out your hand, that'd be great. Jesus, I want to pray for these teenagers. Those online and those in the room. I want to pray for that young man who's thinking of walking away from faith. Father, fill him with a hope that this gets better. I want to pray for that young lady who's overcome by the pressure of society. Protect her. I pray for these teenagers, Lord, would we be a church where they look at us and see you doing a deep work so they too would submit their life and allow you to do a deep work in us. Father, grow in them the fruits of the Spirit as they surrender their life to you. That when we're long gone, this church will be filled with their children and their children's children as disciples who are passionate about seeing more people more like Jesus. Just stay with those teenagers. Just, just, just stay in this moment of prayer. I wanna ask a question. If you're here today and you think you've camped for too long and God's calling you to grow again, to submit again, to surrender again. If you're here today and you're an adult in the room and you know that God's saying, hey, it's time to ask me, what is it you're wanting to grow in me? Where is the construction needing to take place? If that's you, if you're an adult, could I ask, could you stand to your feet as well across this room? Could you stand to your feet? Thank you for your courage. Friends, I think it's gonna be a bunch of us. Can you stand to your feet today? Not everyone, just if you're responding to the call right now. Thank you so much. I want just open your hands up in front of you. I wanna pray for you today. I thank you for those who have been bold enough to say, God, I refuse to camp here. I wanna follow you. I wanna pursue you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, would they grow? Would they grow? Your Holy Spirit produce a deep work as we abide in the vine that is Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit. Would we grow, Father? And I pray, would we be a people marked, marked by transforming work that we would become more like Jesus? And friends, I wanna call all the saints now. Would you all stand to your feet, wherever you are, and open your hands up in front of you. If you're online at home, love you to do the same. Father, I pray for us all as a church. God, I thank you for the 11 baptisms on Friday night. I thank you for a dynamic kids ministry. I thank you for people who built buildings that we might sit in them on Sundays. But Lord, I pray, may these things never distract us from the thing that you've called us to be a people becoming more like Jesus so that others might become more like Jesus. We humble ourselves before you as a church and I ask God, would you give us a hunger to grow, to become to never be satisfied with where we are, but long that one day our tombstones would read, construction completed for Your glory and the good of the world. In Jesus' Name we pray. And all God's holy people said, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.